MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, December 27th, 2021. This is AG. As you know, I'm on vacation right now, but I have an incredible interview for you today. It is the author of Melania and Me. It's Stephanie Winston Walkoff. I hope you enjoy. I'm honored today to be joined by the author of the book Melania and Me, The Rise and Fall of My Friendship with the First Lady. Please welcome Stephanie Winston Walkoff. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. It's great to be talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And thank you for having me. So the first thing I want to ask, your name first came up in our first podcast, Mueller, She Wrote, when we were talking about the presidential inaugural committee and uh, audits and concerns and emails and, and talk, uh, talk of that kind of thing. And I want to get into that a little bit because of recent developments with our friend Tom Barrick. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about the book Melania and Me. I, and and t- uh, I'm really interested to know what prompted you to write this book and tell your story, how you got out of that whole relationship and, and how that impacted you personally. That's a really good question and a really long answer, but I will try and condense it. Um, I ended up writing Melania and Me Really, I mean, I started writing an op-ed piece. I, I wanted to, you know, under under a non-disclosure agreement um, with the pick, I wanted to defend myself from all of the defamatory false articles and statements that were being said about me. Um, but I was limited because of the NDA. And I, I started writing an 1,800-word op-ed. And I really believed that in that amount of words, I'd be able to put down how I felt and what had happened. <laughs> um, so it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I realized I didn't even know, you know, some of the things I was writing down were things that were told to me that I actually didn't know myself. And that's when I had an aha moment for myself to say, look, and I was devastated, right? I mean, I was crushed at the time. I mean, I went into planning the presidential inauguration as a producer and friend of Melania. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know, which was a lot. I believed that I could keep ethics and politics separate. I was not only a novice, I, I was in a group that was so unbelievably convincing, conniving, um, and genius at what they do that everything was happening so fast around me in the planning of these 18 events and also forward thinking for Melania and helping her with her messaging as well as everything from her outfits to the employees that we were hiring. You know, I was so caught up in that that I didn't even stop to think about the consequences of what was going on around me because I didn't realize how in the middle of it I was, right? I became central command without even realizing it. And central command in the way that because I was producing the inauguration and because I was close to Melania, all the information was either blind CC to me or copied to me, or, you know, everything from the production to the broadcast production to you know the events themselves to the talent all came through me. When I sat down to write this piece, 
from the headline that said, Melania's friend gets $26 million. Stephanie Winston-Walkoff headline um, receives $26 million. I wasn't totally shocked at the headline. I was shocked at the headline and the entire piece that was written about me. But the reason why I said I wasn't totally shocked was because I was told that I needed to write a one page that I wanted to see if it was the front page of the Washington Post about the presidential inaugurations committees uh, form 990, which is the federal elections committee form that is submitted of how $107 million was spent. Um, I wouldn't go along with that narrative. I wouldn't make anything up. I had an agreement. I originally only signed an operating agreement. And yet, when you read Melania and me, you see that I was actually I didn't sign any other contracts, but due to partnerships and relationships and people doing what they just did, which was whatever they wanted, I was consistently kept abreast of things that I kept bringing to the attention of Donald Melania that didn't sit right with me. And so as an asset to them, I was also, you know, becoming a problem Mm -hmm. because I would run to them and tell them if a budgetary concern or a vendor concern or a venue concern, things at the Trump hotel. I mean, I said to mine, it doesn't look good. Why are we doing things at the Trump hotel? You know, everything that I did, I spoke to her about. And I did, I worked as Tom Barrick's senior advisor um, and working with Tom and getting receiving my first contract from Rick Gates, who was the deputy chairman of the inaugural. You can imagine how I needed to know who these people were because when I brought Rick Gates's name up to Donald and Melania at Trump Tower, in their home in 2016, Donald literally acted as if he didn't know who Rick Gates was. Now, I did not know anything about politics. I didn't even know Rick Gates was his death, was his was a part of the campaign. <laughs> None of that registered to me. So I learned a lot. Um, and the lesson I learned was you don't get into business with anyone you don't know. And I also learned that I, it's not okay for me not to know what's going on around me um, and not to know about the politics of the world. Because that was the big thing, right? Like $26 million, where's all this money coming from? And I think a lot of people were either very curious about what your role was and what you're doing, but also maybe if you were set up to to be kind of a patsy for some sort of illegal money laundering type situation or just fraudulent expenditure of the pick money. Uh, and And I feel like that probably, you know, being under an NDA like that must have been very difficult. It's strangulating. And I'm still under the NDA. Um, even after Tom Barrick has been indicted, after, you know, the committee itself doesn't exist, um, there's still a non-disclosure agreement. And, you know, everyone says, oh, just you can say whatever you want to say. And the reality is I can, but not, but not in the wholesome sense. I should be allowed to. I should, that should be removed. It should not still exist because I should be able to speak freely without concern of financial repercussions because defending myself against the Trumps has cost me, I mean, truly cost me financially, emotionally, physically. I mean, I had two spinal fusions. I've spent an enormous amount of, of, of money on legal fees. And the reality of all this is that I went into this so blindly as a producer, I was actually honored. I felt like, you know, this was something that um, to produce the presidential inauguration after producing what I'd done, that it doesn't get any, you know, more um, patriotic to say the least. But little did I know, and again, I kept hearing this 
terminology and Tom always said this peaceful transition of power. And in my mind, I just keep reiterating this peaceful transition of power. So to me, that's what it was. And um, I did not, um, so all of your listeners know, and so you know, and it's in my book, but it's important, two points. First about the inaugural funds, the finances. I was given budgets. I was given, you know, I was in certain meetings. I was not part of a finance committee. So I don't, I didn't have any um, knowledge of the foreign money that was coming in, but I was aware of what, again, in time, I had to connect the dots and figure out what was going on. But I also didn't have final say over any budgets. I didn't have a checkbook. I didn't have access to the bank accounts. So the fact that it was all thrown on me and I knew it was going to be because I was told you have to write this one page because we're going out to the press and write what you want to see and read, you know, that in my mind, it registers like what's going on here, but it wasn't, it didn't, wasn't a red light. Like, oh my God, they're going to say it was new. Right. So all the funds from the inaugural were pre-approved, signed off on by the chairman, Tom Barrick, by Rick Gates, um, the deputy chairman, Sarah Armstrong, who is the CEO, Heather Martin, who was the chief financial officer, who then became the chief financial officer at the White House, um, as well as Doug Ammerman um, and Jeff Larson from the RNC. So there were many people involved in this, you know, budget uh, issues, as I call them. But I, again, there were so many inaccuracies, so many consistencies. I mean, I know budgets. I've done events my whole life. I've produced, you know, some of the largest fashion events there are certain things that just didn't make sense. And when I see a unit price that doesn't match an extended price, and for people that don't know, unit prices, if there's one item that costs $500, two items should cost $1,000, not $10,000, right? But those are the type of things that I would see, and I would call them out. And so I became the problem, and the problem needed to be deterred and stopped. And the only way for them to really do that was to get rid of me. Now, I was, Melania had my back at this time because I was still working on the inauguration. I wasn't yet in the White House setting the East Wing up for her. So after I'd done all of that in the East Wing and hired and interviewed and, again, worked with Yale University, social emotional learning, set up an initiative, which left when I left, Melania came to me and said, look, this was now, now, now cut to a year later, February 2018, and it was now, they were going to release the 919, she was told by White House legal counsel that she was going not being allowed to say anything because there was going to be a possible investigation into the presidential inauguration committee. And that's when I pressed record. Not before, then, after knowing that I was going to be the person they were throwing it on. And that's how I knew. Yeah. And I, I have to, you know, stress the point that it's not necessarily any damages that would be awarded had if you, you know, break this NDA. It's the cost. It's just the the sheer legal cost of defending yourself against that. Um, I spent years in an abusive relationship, a domestic violence, and I had to flee. And it cost me a quarter of a million dollars to do that. Quarter of a million dollars to do that. And and I still quote unquote won. So you know, the, it's it's these legal fees um, that that really can can get you in the end, especially when you're trying to get out of that kind of really litigious mob mentality group of people. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that about you and thank you for sharing that. Um, and so you do understand, I mean, I, it differently, 
but it's the same emotions, right? I yeah. have post-traumatic stress from this. Like I have severe PTSD from what went on around me to what had happened to me, to the players, to the whole um, charade. And so, you know, I, again, I've, I've spent over a million dollars. You're right. And I've been a part of three different um, investigative, you know, uh, from the Southern District of New York to the um, United States Attorney General for the District of Columbia, which is the trial is moving forward with the Attorney General Carl Racine against the Trump International Hotel and the Presidential Inauguration Committee and others that, again, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to speak about. But these costs that I've incurred were, again, because they threw, you know, the, the 26 million on me, it actually not only became the headline, but it became the story. So when I was first subpoenaed in October of 2018, uh, about seven months after that happened to me, I had to go in unknowingly, was I a witness or was I under investigation, right? So that's the fear I had. And I wasn't allowed to tell anyone for 180 days. I mean, only my husband and my lawyers were allowed to know. I couldn't speak to my mom, couldn't, and my brothers. I mean, that not being able to tell anyone anything. And when you're under a grand jury subpoena, you abide by it. I mean, yeah. I've seen the, you know, the it's like the Wild West out there right now between Bannon and everybody else that's defying Congress. It's like, you've been subpoenaed. Do your duty and show up and do the right thing. To me, it's just, I, I couldn't, the mentality, it just is so, that's foreign to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the punishment for dipping out on a Grand jury subpoena is a little more severe than dipping out on a congressional subpoena. I don't know why they're equal branches of government, but I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in this system. I have some questions about Tom Barrick, but I need to take a quick break. So uh, everybody stick around. We'll be right back with more. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of The Beans is sponsored by Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance month after month, throwing money at it, but you can't seem to make a dent, it feels like you're in a never-ending cycle of debt. But with Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily. It's easy to pay off your debt with an online personal loan from Upstart. Over a million people have used Upstart already to consolidate high-interest debt, pay off credit cards, student loans, and fund personal expenses with one fixed low monthly payment. Because the Upstart looks beyond your credit score. They look at your credit history and your job history and all sorts of other things. They find you a better loan rate that way with their trusted partners. And you can check your rate right now for free without impacting your credit score in minutes. For loans between one to $50,000, and you can receive funds as fast as one business day after the acceptance of your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. Start fresh in the new year with a loan from Upstart. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And use, use our URL, let them know we sent you, and your loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and other certain information provided in your loan application. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by AG. Not just me, but Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes daily nutrition simple. Stress, poor sleep, hectic schedules it makes it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits. I am paleo and I am an intermittent faster, so I have huge gaps in my diet. But one scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotics for your gut, green superfood blends, and more in one convenient, tasty daily serving. A special blend of high-quality, bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill those gaps in your diet. They support energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and keep your immune system up, so important with the Omicron surge. And this effectively replaces multiple products or pills with one healthy, delicious drink. Um, there is one gram of sugar only, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything. Good for keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever you're doing. 
And it's tasting awesome, too. I love it. And my favorite thing, as the research changes, so does AG1. Most nutritional products come on the market. They never evolve. They stay the same for decades. But Athletic Greens continues to improve AG1 based on the latest research and science. They have 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. So I highly recommend you give it a try. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. And finally, speaking of health, today's show is brought to you by QB. How many hours do we spend in front of screens, watching TV, working at our computers? Well, what if you could turn those inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and get fit? That's exactly what I'm doing thanks to my new QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. It is a compact elliptical unit that fits under your desk. And I'm using it right now, and you can't hear it because it's whisper quiet, it's low impact, super easy on your joints, and it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there by just doing nothing. And we all say I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB gives you that time. They make it easy to burn calories and stay fit with this just beautiful under-the-desk elliptical unit. And it's perfect for anyone who might be housebound or needs something to help improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or loved one with limited mobility that needs a way to stay fit, QB would be the perfect gift. I love my QB and I know you will too. So take advantage of this 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the author of Melania and Me, Stephanie winston Wolkoff, And uh, before the break, we, you had brought up our, our good friend, Tom Barrick, and he was recently indicted, as everyone knows, in July of this year uh, in the Eastern District of New York. And he was uh, the chair uh, working with Rick Gates ahead atop of the, of the PIC, the Presidential Inauguration Committee. And he was in charge of those funds. As you said, you were unaware of where the money was coming from, that there was any foreign money being funneled in that we now know from like Sam Patton and Blavatnik and all these other people. Uh, you just were given the budgets and, and were, uh, you know, put on a show and, uh, you know, did all the production. But Tom Barrick seemingly knows a lot and he doesn't strike me as like a Weisselberg. He doesn't strike me as a guy who was born to go to prison for the mob boss. And he's been very quiet. We haven't heard much since July about this. Have you been asked, and you probably can't tell me, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Have you been asked by any prosecutors in the Eastern District of New York to – have you been called before a grand jury to discuss this? Or do you know anything about what's going on with Tom Barrick at this point? Um, Allison, I I can't speak about um, the different investigations that are going on. Um, and I feel that justice will be served. I do. Um, you know, I found it really interesting when – and a bit of a – that's a big question mark for me was when I learned that Tom Barrick had hired Dan Petroselli as his lawyer, who had been Trump's lawyer. And when Matthew Grimes all of a sudden had Abby Lowell as his lawyer, who was Jared Kushner's lawyer. So I think that, you know, is it is it a, is it deterrent? Is it to get people off the, you know, the, 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 the sense that maybe who knows what's happening? Um, well, that was, was that, that Barrick's first lawyer because he changed lawyers. The second. Oh, so it was his second lawyer. Okay. If he's still his lawyer now, I'm not sure, but this was his second lawyer, and so I think it's important for people to understand the 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 psychology around the the relationships in Trump world, and 
there is there's there is this um, mentality of its loyalty and faithfulness to its core, and I and I understand it. Like you said earlier, and like Michael, you know, said, like we do things without them having like to Melania, like I would do for her for the with the press, with her, you know, statements, with whatever she needed. You just feel that you're obliged almost, and and they say it in a way that they're not directly asking you to make that statement or or roll out the red carpet in a way, but that's exactly what they're doing. And so I, I want people to understand that these relationships that they have are so, um, they're so intrinsically in, intertwined in everything that they do and have done together. So from business dealings from decades ago to the Trump International Hotel with the General Services you know, Administration and you know, all of the all of the involvement of who was where, when, doing what is so critically important. And that's why the inauguration's time period is critical to what's going on in every single one of these investigations, is because that's where so much happened. That's where so many people gathered. That's where influence was, you know, taking its backdoor access to whether it be an event or an event within an event that people aren't even aware of or an event within an event within an event that took place you know around the corner before everybody else saw the real event so there's a lot to still be learned and uncovered um and i feel that um i believe that if tom barrack were to turn or flip or whatever word you want to use um i mean that's that's the end game i mean he there's no one i think more qualified to serve our country at this point in time um to do the right thing yeah i think he's tied with mark meadows for <laughs> for top guy to get to flip um but we have to be coming up on this expiration of the statute of limitations for a lot of any potential crimes that occurred during the inauguration funding fundraising sp- expenditures etc i mean it's like this month. You know, I think one of the issues with all of the, again, the inauguration itself was so many people disregarded it as just a a bunch of events or, you know, $107 million that was privately raised. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter that, you know, what happened to the money since no one's going to end up knowing anyway. Um, You know, people are like, okay, there's $26 million that was spent. Um, The reality is, is, there was $107 million that was spent and the 26 million is, you know, the big shiny object that they wanted you to listen to. And by the way, that I didn't get $26 million, nor did I have the access or ability to take that money and give it to someone else. Um, I was, um, my partners had the ability. I did not. So, but you managed the money. They signed the checks. I, I, I managed reviewing all the budgets, but I never even managed the money. I was, again, when I was told that something's going to be, the events were going to be the three broadcast productions um, at the, you know, brought in by uh, Mark Burnett's broadcast producers, you know, when I was told it was agreed upon that they were going to be paid $25 million for three events. Wow. Okay. Well, I've never put on an event like that. I mean, New York Fashion Week is really expensive, but you know, a weeks long of fashion events yeah, back yeah. to back to back taking place in multiple venues at the same time, you know, $25 million. You got a few seasons there. 
this was oh, well in general know. giant inaugurations only cost half of what they raised uh for the yep. for the pick for trump and also the vendors right and uh, the vendors that were used i mean if you think about it there were vendors that were used that also you know there was another vendor number two on the 990 that received 25 million dollars no one's looking at that no one's saying because they've done it in the past they've been doing it since the truman era well they did it for what five hundred thousand dollars during obama and 25 million dollars <laughs> you know for trump so there's a lot, I think, you know, number three, four, and five on the top five vendors of the 990. Yes, it's important. Yes, there's so much that people didn't listen to, nor did they take time to, because it's almost impossible, I think, to connect all those pieces without having been there. You wouldn't know about a conversation about a, a you know, a contractor or a, or a venue, all the different moving parts and the different players, unless you were there to see all the different pieces that I've been able to put together. And that to me has been the most relief I've had in all of this has been being able to tell the truth, being able to let people know. And that's why in Melania and me, there's so much in there that if you read it now, now knowing a lot of the people that were, no one knew who Tom Barrack was, no one knew who Rick Gates was. Um, it's breadcrumbs, lots of little breadcrumbs that lead you to question so many areas of the presidential inauguration. Yeah. And and you have all those pieces. And I think Tom does, too. And Rick Gates does, too. He's a famous cooperator. Again, I'm, I'm concerned about that statute of limitations, although statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until the crime and the scheme ends. So maybe it extends a little bit beyond the beginning of of the of what was happening. Well, if that's the case, Allison, as we know, that was today, tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, there's still, I mean, what's been going on is, you know, unjustifiable to the extent of, of any statute of limitation. Oh, sure. Let's say he took some of that money, filtered it through, and ended up paying for his mysterious $50 million loan. And he didn't do that until the middle of 2018. And we've got till 2023. I mean, we have to sort of take that into consideration when we consider statute of limitations. One final question Trump is famous for throwing people under the bus uh, and and just leaving people behind, hanging in, hanging in the wind. Um, what is it that keeps people so willing to give up their careers, give up their livelihoods, give up their families in some cases to to remain loyal to him? Is it is it fear? Is it he's got you on he you because you've participated in his crimes? He's got you on crimes now. You're sort of a made person. Is it? Compromat is it? What is it that keeps people in that? So, or is it just the simple like the thing that kept me in my shitty marriage for for three years? Like, what is it? Well, I can speak more to why I stayed with Melania. And yes, as an extension, Donald, I didn't work with the West Wing. So that loyalty, I mean, for me, is my Achilles heel with anything I do. So it's or I, I already started out with a problem getting involved in a relationship and a friendship with Melania where I believed it was a true friendship. I mean, I do believe I was picked, approved when I was working at Vogue, when Melania first came in, because I was that person. I, I lived to work. I worked to live. I have my three children, my husband, I mean, my life, my family is my life. And I'd see Melania and we'd have lunch together and we were alone. There was never any, again, great, you know, political conversations. We just didn't have them because neither of us were interested. And again, I now fault myself for not knowing enough about anything having to do with politics. And I also hadn't voted ever before. So again, I truly am ashamed to admit it, but it's the truth. So 
the loyalty I feel and the, again, a lot of people have other reasons, whether if they be compromised, as you said, or involved in, in the illicit activities, and there are a lot of them. But regardless of that, for someone like me, I believe that I could make a difference. My proximity to power was that I was going to be working with the person in charge, Melania Trump, to be able to create a children's initiative and a platform that would help children struggling with their emotional issues. And that's where SEL, social emotional learning, comes in. And we brought together a think tank of people as well as experts. And I remained so loyal to my cause because that was to me more important than anything because I have, again, like I said, three children. And I've experienced a lot of, um, we are, we've personally had a journey where um, being able to understand executive functioning processing has taken its personal toll. So if we can prevent children from the racism, from the bigotry, from the just emotionless attitude to want to hit someone on social media or take an opioid to feel better or whatever it may be that addictive behavior, if we could teach them to say, you know what, I'm not feeling so good, or you know what, I don't like what you said, or I'm sorry. I felt that prevention of intervention would be a key to changing the way that our children grew up. Now, it was a fantasy, but you ask, why did I stay so loyal? Because I believe that Melania believed that we could do this. And again, I was too um, focused on the mission and the platform and the hope that we could make a difference instead of realizing Alice at the time when I wanted to hire someone who had worked in the Obama administration to work in the East Wing to create this Lincolnian group of women where I was told by Trump and Reince Priebus, absolutely not, because they're not Trump people. That, you know, again, there's so many times I should have walked away. There's so many times, but at the same time, I had Melania to talk to about it all. Right. I'd hired my lawyer while I was still working in the White House. I knew there was a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't be going on. And I was not going to be a part of it. And I was not going to allow it to just happen around me. And so by hiring a lawyer and by maintaining my records, which I always do anyway, I mean, I can go back to the Met, you know, literally 20 years ago. That's why I, I again, I am who I am. And I just do what I do. And I feel like I, that that fierce loyalty that wanting to do it for them is like there's a there's this charisma there's this attraction there's this belief again when he told me that he didn't when donald told me to know who rick gates was i would have given my two arms to him oh my god the 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 intensity of their lives are so enormous but i actually do believe that they do think that you know they're telling Whatever, I mean, they, whatever they think, they say it's their own rules, it's their own laws, and they've broken all of ours. And they could care less about any of these people. And I just hope people do realize that this isn't just about people getting thrown on the bus. This is about individuals who genuinely do want to see a difference in the world that hope maybe what they're being told is, you know, genuine compassion for how they feel. The reality of it is, it is not. This is, and it's, there's so much out there now that people, again, in black and white, that show you and hear what they have to say, that they are only contending for their you know, spot to stay away from prosecution. Well, if you are cooperating, 
Godspeed. And um, if you're not, I hope they call you because I know that you have the receipts, literally, <laughs> not figuratively speaking. Um, did did you said you never voted? Did you vote in 2020? I did. I voted for Joe Biden, <laughs> President Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> that's great your first vote awesome um oh, no 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 my first vote uh, no no my first vote was actually i did vote for trump in 2016 that was my first vote wow what a mistake but again i i did but my my second vote and i changed parties and again i you have to my family is also republican my mother still voted for trump you can imagine right and that's why also it's important for people to be able to communicate with one another it's not about left versus right or right versus wrong and you have to be able to still get along and you have to be able to still talk about it, no matter how much you disagree. As I've said a million times that, you know, as, as Democrats, we're a big tent party. I, I tell a lot of I tell a lot of my colleagues, look, you can't scream at people to change and then give them no room to do so. Um, so welcome. Welcome to the party. And I'm glad you voted for for Biden and Harris in 2020. And, and again, hope you're cooperating. Tell everyone where they can find you uh, on social media. I am at. S. Winston Walkoff. Great. Great follow. Uh, everyone, the author of Melania and Me, grab your copy. Melania and Me, the rise and fall of my friendship with the first lady, Stephanie Winston Walkoff. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Allison. That's our show for today. Thank you all so much for listening. That was a great interview. We'll be back today, or we'll be back today. We'll be back tomorrow <laughs> with another one. See, this is what happens when I go on vacation. My brain is also already on vacation. But we will be back tomorrow with another great interview with Anat Shankar Osori. You don't want to miss it. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.